Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Mets fans, welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. My name is Brian. With me, as always, is Chris. And uh, Chris, we are recording this shortly after the Mets' four-one victory. It wound up being right. Yeah, four-one yep. victory over the uh, Cardinals. For some reason, I couldn't remember if one of the runs scored in the ninth inning, even though I watched it literally ten minutes ago. Four-one um, <laughs> <laughs> victory that uh, that puts the Mets. Uh, they had a four and three road trip. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. But the big news this week is that the Mets fired uh, hitting coach Chili Davis and assistant hitting coach Tom Slater and um, brought in with two guys that were already in the organization, Hugh Quattlebaum as the hitting coach and Kevin Howard as the assistant hitting coach. Uh, Quattlebaum was the uh, minor league director of hitting development and Howard was the director of player development. Now, We'll talk about the new guys in a minute, but I know that the team was very, very upset with the dismissal of Davis and um, I guess I guess primarily with Davis. I mean, I'm sure that uh, Tom Slater was a well-liked guy, but it seemed like Chili Davis was really an important part of the Mets clubhouse. How do you feel about the Mets dismissing Chili Davis at this point in the season? Um, not too strongly one way or the other, which I know is sort of the brand here for me, but uh, a little more like, okay, it's weird. Um, It's 
not on the same level in terms of, uh, I'm not saying it's a mistake like this, but it almost goes back to the previous Mets front office saying, okay, we're going to bring Travis Darno, you know, we're tendering him a contract, going to bring him into the early season. Uh, things don't go well in a short span of time. And then he's DFA'd. So I guess similar to that, it was just, uh, I was a little surprised that they kept him on because, you know, we know he's well liked by the players. We know that he had concerns about COVID and was coaching remotely last year, which of course, um, unquestionably respect that decision. Uh, so we know they were looking forward to working with him in person again, but we also know that his philosophy on hitting and and just the reputation that he had in his previous stints as a hitting coach in other organizations was. Uh, one that didn't necessarily match up with slightly more modern front offices, which is most of the game now. You know, the Mets are finally, under Steve Cohen, um, beefing up that side of their baseball operation. So it was just a little weird that they brought him back. Uh, I think any hitting coach would have been vulnerable to being fired when when the expectations uh, are so drastically different from the results uh, you've got several hitters who we know are much better than this you know we've mentioned that james mccann maybe isn't uh, I, I think he's better than what he's done so far in 2021 but he might not be a great hitter even relative to his position uh but we know and, and conforto started to heat up mcneil has a little bit too um alonzo's looked right yeah, yeah. So, like, we know some of these guys have started coming around, but when you finish the first month of the year last in baseball and run scored per game, uh, despite all of the stop and go, uh, even this week, the Mets had another rain out to deal with. Uh, and, you know, all things considered, it turned out okay. But it, there's a lot of things that were going on. Uh, coaches have certainly been fired for less. So I guess I'm not – it didn't surprise me that there was a lot of reaction from big-time mainstream baseball media like, whoa, this is shocking or, oh, the Mets butchered this or whatever, that kind of thing. I, I don't think it's anything on that level. Um, I I don't have any – like I didn't necessarily want it. I would have been okay with, with staying the course for a longer period of time. But that's that's where I was on it. Did uh, – did you feel any any differently? No, I, you know the way I looked at it was that the Mets brought back the entire coaching staff from last year, more or less, right? They let um, it's a different bench coach, but I don't know if that I don't know if that was a team decision or a personal decision. Um, but regardless, they they let you know um, they let Luis Rojas stay manager. They let Jeremy Hefner stay pitching coach. They let. Uh, you know, they left uh, Chili Davis in his position. And I think that the idea was probably, look, these guys deserve another shot at at this because 2019, I think, went better than a lot of people expected for the Mets, especially on the hitting side. You know, you saw just, you know, Pete Alonso just rake as a rookie and you saw Dom Smith start to really come alive. And so I think that they thought, okay, well, 2019 went well. 2020 was a season that it's hard to really 
judge anything that happened in 2020 as being uh, abnormal or or whatever, just because it's such a weird season. So you have to just kind of see it as a wash. So I think they've probably said, okay, let's let these guys give it a shot, but let's also make sure that our organization has the people in it that if they don't work out, it will be it'll be relatively painless to put them in the to to elevate these people to new positions. I wonder if that was part of the conversation they even had when hiring Quattlebaum to say, listen, you know, we, we're gonna put you in this position for now, but know that if Chile doesn't work out, you're the first person we're gonna consider for that job. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that wasn't part of the conversation. Um, but who knows? It, it it seems to me like, like you said, Chili Davis's approach is not exactly the most modern approach to hitting, but I also think that there is something to be said for a hitting coach that people on the team feel positively about. And I think that that might have even more of an impact on day-to-day baseball than than a hitting coach's actual approach to things. You know, I, I don't want to diminish the role of the hitting coach, but there's a reason that you don't hear about superstar hitting coaches very often because they kind of don't exist. I don't think a hitting coach can necessarily take somebody who is a, you know, a, a punch and Judy hitter and turn him into, you know, 1994 Barry Bonds or anything like that. You know, it's just these, you know, coaches can help within a certain range, but ultimately it's the talent of the players that de- de- determine how well a team does. And so do I think that firing Chili Davis is going to turn the Mets season around? No, I don't. And I think the short-term shows that to be correct as well. It's not like a couple of days into the job, Quattlebaum was like, I've been watching tape, and it's this simple, guys. Just do this, and everything's fixed. That's not going to happen. And so I think that while it might be good to get some new voices into the mix, I, I'm not sure exactly how much of a difference the the firing of Chile Davis is going to make over the over the course of the season. But I think if the organization is trying to establish a way of doing things, a sort of um, you know playbook for the organization from the top to the bottom, from the minor leagues on up, I think it's important that the, that the major league staff sort of fits into that. And so if the team felt like, well, we're trying to develop this type of hitter you know, we want this to be the quote Mets hitters. You know, this is this is the approach we want them to take. And if Davis wasn't a part of that, then I think that it makes absolute sense to get rid of him. I just don't know if this is the best time to do it. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, and I think I think we mentioned this recently too, uh, but you just have that that sort of unique <clears throat> relationship between a coach or any instructor and a player or, or any student really um, where sometimes it just clicks and for somebody like a Justin Turner who goes from league average hitter to incredibly good hitter uh, who knows if he doesn't ha- make exactly uh, every step in that path of his career who knows if that ever ends up happening uh, so it's tough I think for any pitching coach or hitting coach, and I know pretty much it's become the standard that there's an assistant hitting coach and an assistant pitching coach. 
but I'd have to imagine it's tough for anyone in that role to click with everybody on a roster. Sure. And all of these guys have their off-season routines, and they all have people that they talk to that don't work for the team uh, about what they're doing. So it, I don't know. It seems like a lot, and I'm definitely not one to lean towards like, oh, this is information overload. But I'm surprised actually that like Keith hasn't talked a little bit more about that topic recently because one thing we've heard a lot of is oh we didn't have a good plan for that pitcher and then we didn't have a good plan for this pitcher and you just you hear that a few times and you're like okay well what if maybe you don't plan for the pitcher like not saying oh we just totally wing it but if the plans for the pitcher that you're facing aren't working routinely they might not be good plans (laughs) right um and and you know, top to bottom, these are guys who, even McCann, at the very least, he's established that he's a major league player. It's not it's not like he's somebody who you're on the verge of letting go. Um, so overall, these are guys who know how to hit. So when I hear, okay, this plan didn't work, that plan didn't work, I kind of just want them to, to take a deep breath and just go up and focus on being themselves a little bit and, and sort of clearing things out and not worrying too much about what a guy does. Of course you're going to have an idea of what pitches somebody throws uh, going into a start. But uh, other than that, I would, I don't know, I guess I'd question extensive game planning if that process isn't working when they actually get out on the field. See, I I don't know if I if I question the game planning versus the game planner, right? Like maybe this is a case of the plan that the plans that Chili Davis was putting in front of the team just were not effective, and so maybe they need to have a new voice in there to get those more effective plans. I'm not saying that necessarily you're wrong in that, in that maybe there was over preparation, but maybe you know, maybe Chili was just not not preparing the team well for the pitchers they were facing. And that seems to be the job of the hitting coach, right? To tell Pope, okay, you know, the guy you're facing today, his slider is wicked, but, you know, he has this little bit of a tell in his delivery, so make sure you avoid that. Just, you know, whatever the case may be to help the hitters have the best approach to the plate. And if that guy is not helping them have the best approach to the plate, which he might be the nicest guy in the world, he wasn't helping them have better at-bats. He wasn't right now. I'm not saying he couldn't get them back there at some point, but right now he was not helping the team have their best at bats. And I think as long as you are, as long as you feel like you are in the, that you can win this division or you can make the playoffs, you know, as a wild card team, you, if you really truly believe that is the true talent level of your team, then what are you doing with a, with a hitting coach who does, who can't provoke, who can't provide a winning game plan for your hitters? It just doesn't make sense to me. So I totally understand them getting rid of him. Um, I was a little bit surprised to hear. I mean, I look, I, I I think Pete Alonso seems like a really good guy who probably has a lot of good relationships. So it doesn't surprise me that he and Chili were tight. I'm surprised to hear how apparently upset Lindor was over this. Lindor's known the guy for a couple of months. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the results with Chili Davis there 
were not very good for uh, Lindor. So that's a bit surprising. But, yeah, that's about the extent of my Chili Davis thoughts. Do you have any more? No, no, I think that's about it for me, too. Um, I think this has a high probability of being something that everybody other than a couple Mets players forgets about by the end of the season. Yes. Um, And that's no disrespect to anyone. I also, one other thing, too, I know when Pete spoke about it, he was very uh, vocal and emotional. Um, But it's sort of like this is his first major league coach in that role. And, you know, he was probably his first coach that he cared about who got fired. And uh, that's going to happen. It's going to happen a few times. The, the nature of the job, you can you can be very successful and ultimately you'll probably get fired and not retire if you're a coach or a manager in uh, Major League Baseball. Yes. Yes. Excellent point. Um, all right. Well, let's let's talk about the Mets road trip. So we were saying before we recorded that the Mets wound up with a winning road trip. They won four games and lost three. But if you're paying attention just the way that people talk about the Mets, and this isn't just the people we talk to who are, you know, the Amazing Avenue staff, among others, but... It's this seemed like a disaster of a week for the Mets, and yet they're coming out of the road trip ahead. And they took two of three from Philly. They split the series with the uh, with the Cardinals. And it seems like yes, there were opportunities for the Mets to do more this week, but the the team is not firing on all cylinders by any stretch. But they're still hanging in there, and they're still doing all right. So based on the road trip. Is there anything that you learned about this team? Any? Do you feel better about anything? Do you feel worse about anything? Sort of. What What did the last seven games kind of do for you? Well, uh, yeah. I mean, they've averaged more than uh, three runs per game over this this uh, recent stretch, which is nice. Uh, you know, they they um, the the first half of the doubleheader they score one run, but every other game they uh they did more than that you know they scored four today they scored seven in the second game yesterday they they scored five on monday when they lost um they scored eight on sunday five on saturday and what did they do on friday uh, friday was a 2-1 loss so so twice in this road trip they've had a one run game that that was frustrating because uh, they've consistently gotten people on base and they've consistently not hit well when they're there. Yeah, they set a new team record today with 17 left on base on a nine inning game. Yeah, but, you know, overall, I continue to think that the offense will improve, will come around. Um, over the course of 162 games, I guess, you know, it's possible that you can hit that much worse with runners on base and runners in scoring position than you do in every other circumstance. But it's not likely, you know, even if they're an average offensive team, by the end of the season, they should probably have average looking numbers uh, in in all those situations. Um, Right now, it doesn't feel that way. (laughs) I I don't know. Um, they, They get these opportunities. I mean, today could have easily, with the way the Cardinals pitched, Easily could have been a 10, 11 run kind of affair. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, one one or two balls in the gap when in multiple situations where there were, were, you know, two men on or the bases loaded. 
And all of a sudden, you know, it, and especially when that kind of thing happens, it starts to feel contagious. Um, you know, when you get those big hits, it, it often feels like other hits follow and the other team is just on the ropes and, you know, they can't, they, they really can't do anything and, and you're just turning the lineup over. Um, that, that kind of thing is not happening. Yeah. You know, they, the Mets drove in one, one run, uh, uh with All some, with, with, with contact, right. Officially, you know, the, the bases loaded walks or runs batted in, um, and I, I'm not one to complain. They won the game. You know, their, their pitching was still excellent. Uh, there's multiple components of a, of a baseball team. So the fact that they got gifted a few runs by the Cardinals doesn't make it any less of a win to me. But, uh, but yeah, they, they've established a, an abnormal sense of dread when, when there's two or more men on base and zero out, uh, zero or one out in the inning. Um, but at the same time, the the more I see the bullpen, the more I feel like I was wrong to be so concerned about it. So that the bullpen wasn't perfect. You know, Castro had an outing, Diaz had an outing uh, that that they struggled a little bit during this road trip. But the bullpen as a whole still had a very good week, and and that's something that I think as the season goes on, you want to see that, okay, as a, as a group, they can get into these high leverage spots. Um, they're not always going to succeed. No bullpen does no matter how good it is, but they can get into these spots. Uh, you know, most of their outings have still been very sharp. Uh, and then the, the Sunday night game, I thought was a pretty good example. Diaz didn't have it you know, barely gets away with not giving up the game timing home run when it, when it bounces off the rail and, and correctly was ruled on replay to have not been a home run. Uh, but you know, he comes out of the game, there's still a, in a tight spot and Jerry's familiar comes in and, and winds up getting the save. Um, you know, familia and Batansis were, were both in the same boat for me coming into the season primarily because they both had such significant walk issues recently. Um, but Familia is, uh, I don't know, he's hes looking fairly capable right now. And to see him come into that spot and not have that game turn into a loss, uh, to hold on to, to win that series against the Phillies after a you know, dramatic roller coaster inning was already underway, uh, that that was encouraging. So, I think uh, a little bit about you know the offense is more alive, even though it might not feel like it. <laughs> and and every week that goes by, that the bullpen shows that it can be that kind of bullpen, just be effective, um, is another one that that makes every uh, tweet and piece that I had about my concerns about it look look worse and. And I hope that continues to happen. Yeah, my one worry is that, you know, if by logic you say, well, the bull- it's five weeks into the season and the bullpen's looking better than I thought, I shouldn't have been so worried about the bullpen, then I think it's fair to also say it's five weeks into the season and the offense is much worse worse than I thought, 
I should be worried about the offense, right? Like, I feel like it's hard to find uh, a way to believe both of those things to not be true if that's the logic that you're going by. Um, I still think we're early enough into the season that the offense can pull up the nose pretty considerably. And I think that you know, going back to the runners in scoring position for one second, I just think that when the team is hitting better in general, it will hit better with runners in scoring position. You know, the Mets are getting on base by walks and singles right now. There's very few extra base hits. There's very few balls hit with authority. When those things start happening, the runners in scoring position will happen. It, it just it will. I, I, I'm I'm fairly confident in that in that uh, position. Yeah. But, but yeah, you know, I think that the pitching has been excellent. I mean, so you know, the worst the worst look of the uh of the week was Joey Lucchese on Monday. He really did not look like he had anything past the I think I think it was the second inning he looked really good. The first inning he looked rough, the third inning he looked, looked rough, but he looked good in the second inning. Um but you know, guys like Sean Reed Foley have really stepped up and have looked very very good for the Mets. Robert Gazelman has looked good in limited um, time played, you know, uh, Jacob Barnes had a nice inning yesterday. Trevor May continues to be really good. The bullpen is is really solid right now, and I think that the thing that maybe is getting lost because Degrom missed the start this week, the Mets starting pitching has been overall still quite good. I know that Stroman had a rough go of it yesterday, but he should have been out of the inning where he gave up the two run home run. Be, but I think it was an error on uh, Lindor's part, right? A throwing error from Lindor that continued the inning, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. The the Lindor error <clears throat> in the first game of the doubleheader. Yes. You yeah. know that that was around the point where I was like, okay, um, you know, maybe maybe he should get a game off in the second yes. one. Yes. But yeah, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was say, so aside from that, Stroman looked pretty good yesterday. Walker looked fantastic today. I mean, seven innings, eight strikeouts, one hit, no walks. Against a team that, I mean, the, the Cardinals aren't great, but the Cardinals are clearly the class of that division. So for him to shut down that lineup like that was was impressive. Um, you know, I think that Peterson has been about what you expect, maybe even a little bit better than you expect. And, uh, you know... Yamamoto looked good in his limited role yesterday. The, the Mets pitching is just, it's, it's working right now. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This transitions nicely into our, our next topic, which is just 
this idea of the the onslaught of injuries and injury news we've received. So Jacob DeGrom was scratched from his Tuesday start due to a tightness in his right lat. He appears to be okay. They're hoping he will pitch maybe Sunday. Um, you know, and, and that's that's not the end of the world for him to skip a start. It happens to DeGrom almost every year that he manages to get one start where he's slightly hurt, everyone panics, and then he wins a Cy Young. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I'm not totally concerned about that. But we we heard today that Carlos Carrasco either suffered suffered a setback or um, is recovering slower than the Mets hoped because they transferred him to the 60-day IL today, which means he cannot come off until the end of May. I believe it's May 30th or 31st is the is the first date he'd be available. And there's there's sort of some conflicting information out there. Um, I know you and I were speaking off mic before about how there's a big difference between a setback and just being slower in how you are recovering. And it's somewhat unclear as to which of those is going on now. Although I will say that Carrasco was scratched from his weekend start. So maybe something did happen, um, but it doesn't appear to be super major. But now Cindergard and Seth Lugo and Carrasco are all set to come off the IL at around the same time, approximately. And if the Mets can sustain what they're doing right now until the end of May, and even two-thirds of those guys come back around that time, another guy a few weeks later, that's going to be a huge shot in the arm for the team. Just absolutely massive. Um, but are, are you particularly worried about DeGrom or Carrasco? No, no, not yet. Um, and it, it would take, a, a, you know, I think a significant update um, – to, to get me there. I, and, you know, like you said, with DeGrom, the fact that he wasn't hurting that bad, had the MRI, you know, nothing's torn, every, you know, some inflammation, but everything looked okay there. Um, I don't know. I think, I think he's going to be fine. Uh, if he doesn't make the start on Sunday, I'm also not going to panic over it. I, I just think they had, an opportunity to put him on the IL and and not have him really miss much more time than he's missing anyway. Um, well, that's you know, the with rub, the, right? With this team, they just don't know how to use the IL ever. Yeah, yeah, no, and it's. I mean, I guess on, on some level, I get it. Okay, you know, Nimmo has been one of their best hitters for the past few years, and one of the few hitters who's really had a good start. But between his hip thing. Uh, and then the fact that he, you know, had the the finger uh, injury on uh, Saturday night that I don't know. It was just like I, not very realistic to me to, to expect that he could get up there and swing a bat and be himself. You know, just give him the 10 days. Uh, but I get that temptation on some level to say, well, you know, our best the best pitcher there is. And, um, you know, one of the few hitters who's hitting well for us. Like, well, what if he feels better in 48 hours? I don't, I don't want to miss eight days of that. I understand that, but like, once you get to a certain point, the, the timing with Nimmo, uh, putting him on the IL between games of the doubleheader, games of the doubleheader, yeah, was just the most ridiculous thing. Like, either he was ready to play baseball in the morning or he wasn't. I, I you know, I know you get the 27th man. I know. Uh, with the the stupid extra inning rule that y- your bench isn't prone to being tested 
or, or exposed to the point that you run out of pinch hitters. I, I know all that, but it's just like if if he couldn't play the first game, why was he active for the first game? It it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's it's dumb. It's real dumb. <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, on the pitching side of things. As long as they, you know, as long as it's kind of just status quo, uh, if there's a little bit of a delay, I'm, I'm not not too worried. Uh, if there's a major delay, like Carrasco, you know, it's, it's two and a half, three weeks difference from when we may have expected him to pitch a game. So that's, you know, some time, but it's not two or three months different. Right. Um, you know. Could be at some point, but right now it isn't. So I forget if it was Keith or Gary on the on the broadcast today who said, you know, the goal is to get Carrasco back for the rest of the season. So if you if that means making him wait a couple of weeks to make sure he's really healthy and really back to to his fighting shape, that's better than having him come back earlier and then having to go back on the IL. So I I am sympathetic to them holding him off a little bit longer. Um, I'm not particularly worried either, nor am I particularly worried about Brandon Nimmo or J.D. Davis. With with Nimmo, I feel like with the hip thing, he didn't look right the couple of games he played after the initial flare-up of the hip before he was put, before he uh, hurt his finger. And I feel like baseball teams still kind of operate as if it's a 15-day DL instead of the 10-day IL. Because while I, I I'm certainly not saying that um, you know that there's any reason to uh, to rush a player onto the injured list, it just seems to me like if you're going to be thinking about it logically, when Nimmo went down, when did he when did he get scratched with the hip injury? Was that that was last week, wasn't it? That was last Tuesday or Wednesday. Yeah, I think it was early early in the week. That sounds yeah. right. So he'd he decided if they put him on the aisle then he'd be coming off tomorrow or Saturday. Nothing that DeGrom did in between him getting on him having the initial hip issue and actually going on the aisle, he did nothing to really help the team win. So what are you doing this for? Why are you it just seems to me ten days is so such a little amount of time. There's no reason to possibly risk it when you know he'll be back in a week and a half, especially because he sat for a couple of days. So you could have even done the whole retroactive D uh, IL thing, where you say yeah. you know he was retroactive to whatever the last day he played was. There's just no reason, no reason for it. I don't understand what it is about the Mets not using the IL properly. Um, are you worried about Davis at all? Um, no, <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. Maybe, maybe a little, but no, it, I'm, uh, by the same logic as all the other guys, there's not anything on the table that's like potential surgery, you know, long-term absence, that kind of thing. Um, so I, the only thing I'm worried about with him is his defense at third base, which yes. will be a roller coaster, but Hey, if he hits like Mike Trout, um, I think I could live with it. 
<laughs> you think? Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, he's got a 197 weighted runs created plus right now. So that's well, that's not 2021 Mike Trout, um, but that's like normal Mike Trout. Right. <laughs> Just um, for the for the record, 2021 Mike Trout is at uh, 251 in that metric right now. And yet he's never talked about. I don't understand it. I don't know why every Sports Center broadcast doesn't begin with, hey, look what Mike Trout did today. Because it's yeah. almost always amazing. Yeah. Anyway, that's a conversation for a different day. Um, the last bit we want to talk about before getting to our music picks was the um, the end of the Francisco Lindor um, hitting drought happened today. Uh, Lindor reached base a couple of times via the walk, but then in his last at-bat of the night, uh, the day rather, he... Uh, he stroked a single into right field and appears to be maybe, and I'm saying this very hesitantly, maybe coming out of this uh, this extended slump that he was in. Um, I, I think it's a little bit early to say he's coming out of it, but I think that him taking three, you know, drawing three walks today and getting the single, it shows that there is some improvement, hopefully, happening for Lindor. Do you feel? And I think both of us were in the same position where we didn't necessarily think that this was going to be indicative of his entire season, or as I heard someone say the other day, his entire Mets career. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I, I think we were both relatively calm about it, but it is nice to see him breaking out of that. Yeah, and I, I think um, he good. He put a good swing on the ball. It was just a an out to center field. It wasn't the best anybody's ever hit a baseball or anything, but you know he drove a ball that a little bit to left, a little bit to right would have easily been a double. Uh, and and obviously those kinds of things happen all the time in baseball, and a lot of times they they turn into outs. Uh, so you know it was an out, but it was just nice, solid contact. And then you know as you said, he drew some walks, and then he got the hit just a single but it's one thing to be struggling where your your overall overall line isn't up to your standards it's another one to be 0 for 20 something i think that that both things can make you press but i think 0 for 24 uh can really start to mess with you so you know he had a, a productive day at the plate even though his only hit was a single and uh, it really is just a matter of time, I think, until he's he's kind of lighting things up. And you know, when he's doing that and playing defense and uh, and being the joyous presence and leader that he is on this team, I, I think the concept of anybody booing him, I, like I know he'll get booed again if he if he goes into a slump ever, because that's just that's the what fans do. Yeah, but uh, but. The idea that people were feeling like self-righteous about booing him in April of the first year of his contract. Like, I just hope those people feel dumb at some point. So I ran into a guy earlier this week, and I'm not going to say his name in case I can't imagine he would ever listen to this, but regardless. And we were talking about just the Mets in general and, and Lindor, and he said, you know, I said... You know, Lindor's had some rough stretches in his career before, 
and you know, I'm not worried about this. This isn't going to be his entire career. And the guy looked me like dead in the eye and seriously was like, but what if it is, bro? And I just said to be like, what, what are you talking about? Yeah. There, even if he went hitless from the start of the season to now, do you really think that 20-something games is going to be indicative of, an, of someone's entire career? Someone's the next 10 years of an elite baseball player's career? I mean, I know that people have fallen off a cliff before. I know that's a that's a reality that has happened to ball players, but it seems like to happen to to happen to a guy at his age and his skill level just seemed utterly preposterous, especially because he raked in spring training. Right. We saw him have success already. You know, it's 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 fake success, right? Spring training doesn't matter, but he didn't look washed in spring training. Right. You know? No. Uh, I, I mean, Batansis looked washed in spring training. So when he looked terrible in the regular season, it was not a surprise to anyone. This is not that situation. Yeah, that, uh, as we transition to music picks here in, in a second, uh, just that interaction reminds me, and I think I've told you this story, but, but probably not on, on the show. Uh, Wilco had a, a small festival down in Mexico at the very beginning of 2020, which feels like it was 10 years ago. And after they played three sets and they had one night off and, you know, the four, the four nights of it. And I think it was the, the afternoon after their second set. And I'm in the water enjoying being in Mexico, enjoying the whole thing and just, you know, randomly chatting with another person who's there. And they went into this whole thing about like how Pat, uh, one of the guys in the band, for anybody who's not familiar, uh, he just he looks so unhappy up there. Like I don't think he wants to be in the band anymore. And like the same reaction you had with this guy with Lindor, where I was just like, what? Like, are we observing? What planet are you on right now? Like, right. I just don't. I can't wrap my head around uh, conclusions that fans can jump to that just don't make any logical sense or just draw uh, uh, you know upon information that they do not have i i don't understand it so like that i was i was as baffled as you were and uh and it, it, yeah so that 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 guy makes me think of the guy that i uh that i talked to i mean to be fair i think pat smiles the least of anyone on stage but that's sure. always how he is right yeah yeah no it's um I don't know. There's just something about fandom that can make people think irrational things. Yes. Um, so I <laughs> I feel like our message every week is basically just we are the Mets equivalent of a keep calm and carry on sign. <laughs> <laughs> but but truly, you know, the Mets are doing it right without them firing on all cylinders with with important players on the I.L., and with uh, zero run support for some amazing starting pitching. So when things start to click a little bit more, they'll be fine. Don't worry, folks. Chris, what is your music pick for this week? <laughs> so uh, I, I think I've recommended at least one record by the band Wand before. And there's this whole like network of bands out in California that you know so-and-so is in this band and that band and 
like they're the front person in in one band and they're just uh, you know just just a musician in another um <clears throat> by the way chris you're not gonna believe this you have recommended wand twice but it's been the same record both times did i oh. yes. i don't know how that happened i usually try and keep track of this stuff but uh all right. Yeah. Well, you recommended Laughing Matter on episodes 18 and 39. Jeez, that's not that far apart. Well, you got to realize that was like we took we were not doing every week last season. Right, right. Yeah. So, this is probably somewhat uh anyway, go ahead. Y- yeah, no, no, no. I... <laughs> well, this is not the same record. Corey Hansen is uh, is the lead vocalist, um, you know, lead guitarist, really lead lead everything in in Wand, and he put out a solo record called Pale Horse Rider. It's got a lot of like countryish sounds in it. It's very calm. It was recommended to me as a as a good rainy day record, and I, I think that that is a good context for listening to it. Um, Similar enough that if anybody did take my recommendation on either of those occasions, that I would naturally think that they would also like this. But I could see some people out there, uh, whether it's listeners or friends of mine who who might not really get into Wand, who could listen to this record and and love it a lot. Um, so yeah, it's it's a cool like the elements of what go into his songs with the band are there, but it's a very different expression of that. Um, if only because of the, the instruments and effects or lack thereof um, that, that are used on them. Um, but yeah, it came out, I think just a, you know, two, three weeks ago uh, or, or something like that. And I had, had missed it until somebody else mentioned it and finally gave it a proper listen this week. And uh, now it's my recommendation. Very nice. I had to, I like the wand records you rec- record you recommended in the past. <laughs> <laughs> I thought there were two. I really did. Maybe my bookkeeping is wrong, but uh, I don't know. But so I'll have to check this out. That sounds pretty much up my alley. So um, I made a decision a few weeks ago that I was going to try to go as long as I could without recommending a band that was made up of white guys playing guitar. So last week I picked a, a Brazilian uh, record, and this week I'm going after a, a an album, a um, a film soundtrack, film score, technically. Um, one of my favorite movies uh, is the um, the film about the Watergate investigation, All the President's Men. I think it's just a fantastic film. And the last time I watched it, I was really taken by the score, which is unbelievably mellow and underplayed like it's there's there's not a lot of movement to it it's these like long sort of drawn out almost arpeggios played by a brass section but just like really it just sets a mood there's there's not a ton of melody um and it's something that i i i sort of kept coming back to over the last few months when I would be thinking about music I wanted to listen to, and it's not on any streaming services. It's on YouTube, so I'll, I'll link it in YouTube. But the soundtrack was apparently only released as like a, a pairing with another film, and that's out of print now. And it's by a guy named Michael Shire, who did The Conversation, which is another uh, fantastic score. That's a very piano-based score, whereas this is very brass-heavy. But both of them are just these sort of hypnotic, slow 
thoughtful meditation like soundtracks and it's something that i don't like i i never thought that would be stuff that i would be reaching for in my music listening but i've been really feeling it a lot lately and so um like i said if you i think even if you've seen the film the score might not have stuck with you because it's not like you know when you get a john williams score that i think you can stop person on the street and be like hey how does the jurassic park theme go and they could probably tell you or the indiana jones theme or the star wars theme this does not have any theme like that it's just this very very moody um pretty quiet but really i i think beautiful and interesting music so um that's my pick michael shire's score to all the president's men nice yeah i i, I just realized that I, I i tend to pick a lot of just uh white guys with guitars i think as, as we all do but I, I want to be better than that every now and then and just present something different because I, I, I try to listen to different sorts of stuff i really do um anyway we've talked about this in the past i'd be i'd be really curious to see if anybody who listens to the show checks out our record recommendations so if you do uh tweet at us we'd love to hear about it um and thank you all for listening we we appreciate that as well uh please go to amazingavenue.com check out all the stuff we have going on now that the minor league season is happening we have daily minor league updates we have game recaps news analysis all sorts of stuff for you there you can also find the site on facebook twitter and instagram at amazing avenue you can find this show on apple podcasts on spotify and stitcher wherever you get podcasts please rate review and subscribe that helps more folks find out about the show you can follow Chris on Twitter at Chris McShane. You can follow me on Twitter at Brian is an app. And until next time, keep calm and let's go Mets.